so this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to pose to all of us a challenging question. Uh, a, a, a question to the church as an institution, uh, a question to Grace Hill as a local church, to each of us as individual followers of Jesus. And here it is. Is it possible that the way we practice our faith, the way we practice Christianity, does more harm to our neighbor than it does good? It's a challenging question. This morning, we're gonna be studying Luke chapter six, verses one to 11 together, and Jesus is going to compel us to ask this probing question. So last week, Monty McCullough, whom I referred to as dad, uh, got us back into our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. So earlier in the year, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke for, for several months, but then we took a, a good about, I think a two-month break, uh, or maybe a three-month break from that series, and so now it's time to get back into Luke and so Monty last week uh, finished chapter five for us, and we're gonna start here in chapter six this morning. Now remember, the Gospel of Luke is an orderly account of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ when he was here and walking among us. And one of the themes that we have seen in the Gospel of Luke already in our study and this is a theme that is going to keep coming back over and over and over again, is that of the kingdom of God, this theme, the, the kingdom of God. While Jesus was walking on this planet, he spent his time teaching about the kingdom of God and demonstrating to us the way of the kingdom of God, how to live in the kingdom of God. And so when I say kingdom of God, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about a kingdom, a, a, a place where God is the ruler. He's the political ruler. He rules over the society because when Christ returns, he's going to establish the kingdom of God in its fullness and he will be king. God will be our ruler. He will be our leader. And so Jesus spent much of his time here on earth teaching people about what that is going to be like to live in the kingdom of God and why God is worthy of our submission to him as king. And so as we pick up the text here in Luke 6, uh, Jesus has been spending some time contrasting the kingdom of God to what has become of the Jewish religion of the day. Um, Jesus had many run-ins with a group of people called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were, um, a, they were these Jewish leaders. They were very conservative. They were very strict. And they took the Old Testament law very seriously, okay? So the Pharisees had a very simple theology. God has given a law. You keep that law perfectly and you're good. 
If you don't keep that law, then you will be judged. And in the mind of a Pharisee, just want you to get this, this is what the kingdom of God would be like. A very strict, comprehensive, elaborate law. And to the Pharisees, the Messiah that they were waiting for, this king that was gonna come, that God was gonna send, what he would do is he would enforce this strict law on the whole world. But Jesus, the actual Messiah, sought to make a very clear distinction between the actual kingdom of God and this other kingdom that is defined as law. And so in our text this morning, Jesus is gonna continue to help us to see this distinction, all right? So I wanna pick it up, Luke chapter six. We're gonna read verses one to 11 together this morning. So here's what it says. Verse one, it says, on a Sabbath day, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, so this group we're talking about, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, the temple, and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any to do that, but the priest to eat, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now let's pause here just for a second. So God commanded his people to, to work six days and to rest on the seventh day. That's the Sabbath day. And in the Old Testament, there are a lot of laws around the Sabbath, including the fourth commandment. But one thing you need to know about any of God's laws or any of God's commands is that they are not arbitrary. God doesn't give laws or he doesn't give commands just because he can and it would be fun. Right? He doesn't make his people do a song and a dance just because he has the power to do so and it would puff up his pride. No, all of God's laws and commands have a loving purpose behind them that is for our good and it's for our joy. Now, you might remember uh, about two months ago now, I believe it was May 24th, uh, I preached on Mark chapter two, verses 23 to 28, which is this same account. It's Mark's account of the same encounter that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the disciples going through the grain fields and all of that. And in that sermon, I unpack what God's true purpose is behind the Sabbath and why he tells his people to rest on the seventh day and why that is good for us to do. So I'm not gonna rehash that here in this sermon this morning, but you can go find that in our podcast. It was a part of our Healthy Soul sermon series. But what I want you to take away from this initial encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees here on the Sabbath day is that it is clear that the Pharisees 
in their desire to perfectly keep the law have forgotten God's purpose behind, in this case, the Sabbath laws. In their zeal to perfectly perform the what, they forgot the why. All right, so I want you to keep that in mind as we continue in our passage, as we read, start, start back here in verse six. Jesus continues, says, on another Sabbath day, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered, it was crippled. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury, the Pharisees, and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus asks a very probing question here in verse nine. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do harm? In, in other words, as you seek to follow the Sabbath laws, are you still keeping the law if your law keeping is harmful to another person? You get it? Are you still keeping the law if your law keeping causes you not to have compassion and empathy on another person like this man with the withered hand? Right, one of the ways Jesus most challenged the Pharisees was by showing them how their religion became their excuse to not have to love their neighbor. And this is a great example. At some point, the, the Pharisees forgot about God's true purposes behind the law, that they're good for us and they're for our joy, and the law itself became their religion. It was no longer just this following God and, and, and following his word. It was now keeping the law was now the religion, even if it meant harming other people. And I think we need to ask ourselves this same question. Is it possible that the way we practice our faith, the way we practice Christianity does more harm to our neighbor than it does good? And so looking at our text this morning, I think, I think there are three ways we can use our faith to bring harm to our neighbor rather than good. So let's unpack those three ways. Here, here's number one. Number one is this. We bring harm to our neighbor when we use our faith to push others down. In our text, the Pharisees were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus of breaking Sabbath laws. They were looking to catch Jesus in an unlawful act so they could 
push Jesus down, condemn him, sneer at him, judge him, tarnish his reputation amongst the people. And the Pharisees were notorious for publicly shaming and condemning people for their sin. I actually find it fascinating that the Pharisees knew that this particular situation would be a perfect setup for Jesus. Oh man, there's someone who is suffering here at the synagogue. This is perfect. Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna be compassionate and empathetic and he's probably gonna wanna heal. And so it's the Sabbath day. And so we'll be able to accuse Jesus of doing work on the Sabbath day. They knew Jesus would be compassionate. Perfect setup. It never crossed their minds to be empathetic or compassionate. No, this guy was just a pawn in their little scheme here. So you have the faith of the Pharisees, which is on a mission to condemn and enforce laws. And you have Jesus, who is on a mission to show compassion. Pharisees want to enforce law. Jesus wants to engage people in love. I mean, if we were to be honest, does the church in general, do Christians in general, have more of a reputation in our country, at least for pushing people down in condemnation or engaging people out of compassion. Now, we do practice an ethical faith. Like our, our God has given us his word. He has shown us how we should live. He has given us limitations. He has shown us what is good and what is right. Christians should have high standards when it comes to our conduct and our way of life, but our mission is not to impose or enforce those standards on our neighbor. Our mission is to love our neighbor. So now I wanna challenge us this morning in how we might do this in the quiet, private place in our head. How easily do we condemn, pass judgment, look for reasons to accuse, form opinions about other people in our head? Maybe we never express it, but we think it. How easily do we write someone off because they say or do something that we don't approve of? And because we have formed an opinion of that person, instead of being willing to engage that person in love, we avoid that person because of the judgment that we've already pronounced over them in our head. Maybe it's your neighbor or a, or a coworker or a family member that's gay. Or it's the man in the neighborhood who sits on his front porch stoop smoking a cigarette every day or that guy covered in tattoos, or those parents and their parenting philosophy, or those neighborhood kids who are loud and obnoxious, or that person at work who doesn't work as hard as you think they should, or that person at church who posts things on Facebook you don't agree with. See, when we push people down in our head, and form judgmental, judgmental opinions about others based on our own faith and standards of living, we easily become just like the Pharisees, watching people and waiting to accuse them of their wrongdoing. 
Instead of engaging our neighbor in love like Jesus consistently demonstrated, right? So do you see the contrast between the two kingdoms? One kingdom is, it's like people are waiting for you to mess up and then to punish them for it. And the other engages people out of love, despite their behavior. Radically different. Here's number two. Number two is we bring harm to our neighbor when we use our faith to elevate ourselves above others. It's no secret that the Pharisees were trying to demonstrate how they were more faithful than Jesus. They wanted to convince people that Jesus was not the Messiah and that he was not worth following. Instead, they should be following them, the, the, the Pharisees. And the reason the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus in unlawful acts was so that they could elevate themselves above Jesus and all of the other people at the synagogue. See, when our faith becomes centered on the law like the Pharisees or centered on our behavior and enforcing our standards of living, it becomes easy to boast in our works and see ourselves as better than others. We look at the Christian things that we do, how we go to church and how we read our Bibles and all of these things as confirmation that we're actually more righteous than our neighbor. And just like pushing people down, this is something that is easily done in our head. This could be happening in your marriage right now. You see yourself as more righteous than your spouse, you have a list of things in your head about the ways your spouse could be better. And because you've elevated yourself above your spouse, you actually minimize your own sin and have become blind to the ways that you might need to change. Unwilling to consider your own sin and no compassion in your heart. It's just like the Pharisees. This could be happening in your workplace right now. You see yourself as more righteous than your coworkers and you have a list in your head of all the ways in which your coworkers are wrong. And because you've elevated yourself above your coworkers, you actually are deaf to the ways you might need to change. And again, no compassion in your heart. It's just like the Pharisees. When we elevate ourselves above other people, we use our faith to create a class system and we place ourselves in a class where we become blind to our own sin in areas where we need to change. If anyone was in a class above his neighbors, it was Jesus, who was constantly ridiculed by the Pharisees for spending time with sinners. And yet again, right here, we have an example where the Pharisees used their faith to ridicule, not love their neighbor. So again, you see the contrast between these two kingdoms. Number three, we bring harm to our neighbor when we use our faith to separate ourselves from others. It was clear that the Pharisees wanted to create a very clear distinction between them and the rest of the people. And so instead of loving and engaging their neighbors, they disengaged and sheltered themselves from their neighbors so they wouldn't be stained by them. Here's the problem. 
Galatians chapter five, verse 14 says this, for the whole law, the entire thing is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here's my question. How do we love our neighbors? How do we fulfill the law as the Pharisees so passionately wanted to do if we shelter ourselves from our neighbors? How can we have compassion on our neighbors, serve our neighbors, carry burdens for our neighbors, enter into the suffering of our neighbors if we don't engage our neighbors? Notice how the mission of the Pharisees to enforce the law made them completely unmoved by the suffering of the man with the withered hand. He was a pawn in their scheme, not someone to care for. Sometimes I think the reason why the, the church sometimes can be tone deaf and blind to the suffering and injustices of our world is because we have separated ourselves from the world for the purpose of faithfulness. And yet what has actually happened is we have given up our ability to love our neighbors and according to Galatians 5.14, fulfill the law. And yet watch Jesus. He walks into the synagogue and he's filled with compassion for the suffering. The most controversial thing Jesus did while he was on this planet was he loved his neighbors to the point that it made the religious leaders uneasy. Do we love our neighbors and our coworkers like this? We engage, are we aware of where they're hurting and suffering and in need? Do we care? Grace Hill, what would it look like if we as a church and if we as individual followers of Jesus flipped the script? Right? The church has this reputation of condemning people, being self-righteous, disengaging from the culture for the sake of, of our comfort, but, but this is not what the kingdom of God is like. What if we follow Jesus and demonstrated to the world what the actual kingdom of God is like? What if we engaged people before we passed judgment? What if we didn't compare ourselves to our neighbor when it comes to their behavior? What if we didn't shelter ourselves from our neighbors, but we got involved to the point where we can love our neighbors with the kind of compassion that Jesus has modeled for us today? Because Grace Hill, don't forget, this is the gospel this is how Jesus has loved you and loved me. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins, enemies of God, unclean. We were condemned. And yet Jesus, instead of passing judgment and pushing us down further, decided to engage instead of separating himself from us. Instead of remaining in heaven with his father, elevated above us, he became one of us at our level, became a man, walked this earth, felt our temptations, entered into our pain. He didn't shelter himself from the brokenness of our world. He subjected himself to the brokenness of our world. And because Jesus has loved us in this way, he is able to empathize with us, show compassion to us, and rescue us. 
Jesus demonstrates true love to us by offering himself on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin. He cares for us at his own expense. And that is how Jesus calls his church to love their neighbors. This is how we use our faith for the good of our neighbor and not for harm, to engage them, to know them, to spend time with them, to be able to empathize with their struggles and their pain and to help carry their burdens and bind their wounds at our own expense. That is what the gospel is. That's how we preach this gospel to the world. What would it look like of instead of writing people off in our heads, instead of elevating ourselves, instead of sheltering ourselves from the world, what if we loved people like Jesus loved people? That's my prayer for our church, that that's what our legacy would be, that we would be a church who loves people the way Jesus loved people. Let me pray for that. God, this morning, Jesus had us consider a really difficult question. And and God, every one of us in this room, myself included, struggle with loving all of our neighbors we think about all of the people in our life, there are people who are easy to love and there are people who are not easy to love. God, I just pray that you would give us eyes like Jesus. When Jesus walked into a synagogue or he walked into the crowds or he he walked into a place where there were people, he had eyes that could see the suffering and the hurts of people. He had eyes that wanted to empathize and to show compassion. He did not have eyes of condemnation. God, I pray that would be our presence here in this town, that we would be a church who seeks to have compassion on our neighbors. God, wherever in our hearts where there's pride, where there's a desire to elevate ourselves, where there's a desire to separate ourselves, Lord, I pray that you would help us to repent of that. And Lord, help us to love people the way Jesus loved people and the way that Jesus has loved us. We praise you for sending your son here to be one of us, to experience what we experience and to give of his own life so that we could be forgiven. God, help us to believe that. And may that ever change the way we love others and our neighbors. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.